Hello, and welcome to Maine Golf Talk. We are your hosts, Zach Zonlo and Henry Fall. In these podcasts, we'll be discussing what makes Maine Golf so special. We'll be sharing our own experiences and knowledge as both players and coaches. We'll also branch out to discuss hot topics in the game and chat with special guests to hear their stories. All to keep you in the know and help you improve your game. Let's get into today's podcast. All right, welcome to episode five of Main Golf Talk. Henry and I are joined by the defending Maine Amateur Champion and current Florida State golf team member, Cole Anderson. Cole, welcome to Maine Golf Talk. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Happy to be here. So uh, we're talking with you right now. It looks like you are in Florida. How's, uh, how's sunny Florida going right now? It's all right, man. Um, we're lucky that uh, the governor declared golf um, an essential activity. So courses are still somewhat open right now. Um, there's a whole bunch of rules just keeping everybody safe. But at this point in time, we can still play golf, which is uh, a big bonus for sure. Yeah, that's, that's huge. So basically playing every day, can you, uh, can you practice or is it just playing 18 holes? Yes. Uh, the part of the course that is like FSU golf's facility, so our driving range that only we use in our team building and stuff like that, that's all closed. But the golf course, we're still, we still have our playing privileges out there right now. So we can go out and play or we can use the members uh, driving range, which I mean, still works if you're just going to hit balls and do kind of block work and stuff. We just don't have our, our side of things. So it's more or less just kind of just hitting balls and just making sure the game's sharp, not being able to actually do a little bit more strategy work. Yeah. I mean, even right now, it's just something to do also. I mean, there's not a whole, whole lot else going on, obviously with we're on that stay at home order as well. So it's just, we're trying to find any way to fill our days. And luckily we've got, we've got golf. So been doing a lot of it yeah you guys you guys got uh golf where you can play and uh henry and i just got uh golf we can talk about and just hope and wish for uh when it actually starts better days soon friends better days soon yeah so uh how did uh how the seasons go for you you redshirted so what fall was the first first season for you yeah 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 so i did did the whole redshirt when i came in early thing and then this year I have mixed emotion about how I played, but as far as like the experience goes, um, it's everything I would hope, hoped it was going to be. Um, we, uh, I get to see some unbelievable golf courses, you know, it's a great group of guys, um, a lot of fun to travel with. And, you know, the team was, we were trending for sure. I think everybody felt like they had gotten better individually. Um, and we are starting to see some, some better results. So it's, it's definitely a, a real bummer that, you know, the NCAA was forced to cancel everything, but obviously the right thing to do at this time. Yeah, I, I, exactly. Um, so, you know, your first tournament, you, uh, you go out uh, blazing, what, 66 to, uh, to start it all yeah. off. Um, yeah. Pretty good start. Uh, that seemed like some pretty good competition uh, in that first event. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh I think it's it's one of like the top four events we play out of the like eight to ten. Um, it's a uh, yeah that was that was a good a good start. It went downhill from there for sure, but I think it was it was definitely an important tournament for me because 
it humbled me, but also kind of told me like you can compete at this level. Cause like even just to, you know, you, you get anything. I think the biggest thing that separates now, cause you know, everybody's pretty good um, is with collegiate golf. If you want to separate yourself, you need, it's got to be fairly consistent that you're getting it in a single round five, six, seven under par. Like you can't, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to be, um, you're not going to be anybody just going and shooting one, two under par consistently. You gotta, you gotta kind of push the envelope more. So it was good to see that like, you know, even with the, the change in courses and it's obviously more difficult the setups so that you can still, you know, shoot a good score and like good competition and get yourself in the mix. Cole, can you talk about that transition from junior golf and high school golf going to Florida State? Are you practicing more? Are you training more? Are you in the gym more? Can you just talk about that? Definitely in the gym more. Um, I started to get into it a little bit before I went to school, but I put on, I think I, when I got here, I weighed just under 165 and I think I'm weighing at like 176 right now. So put about 10 pounds on in a year or so. And that definitely made a difference in my golf swing for sure. Um, but as far as practice goes, I guess I've talked about this before in a couple of interviews about the biggest difference, but it's, it's not so much like the volume of practice as like what, what we're doing. I would say if anything, I, I honestly might've practiced more when I was at home during the summers, but as far as like efficiency of like how much I'm getting done, like I feel like I, I can get more done in a two hour session here than I, before I'd kind of learned the right way to practice than I would have gotten out of a, you know, six to eight hour range session at home. So when you say right way of practice, is that competition based because you're playing with your teammates and practicing with them? Right. Um, are you playing like little games or is it just you're more focused? Well, it's really specific normally. So like whether it's a, a specific outcome or a specific skill that you're working on. So, you know, we do, we do like the performance based drills where it's like you have to complete, like there is an actual end goal here, whether it's, you know, you, you hit five chip shots and the total added footage from the five balls you hit has to be inside of 15 feet or something like that. And you can't leave that station until you're done. But I think a lot of it is more like self-awareness of like, what have I been doing well recently? So what do I need to structure today's session around? It was less about just like, I'm just going to go practice. And it was really easy to just say, I'm going to go practice. And I didn't really have any plan. I would, I just knew I was going to go practice. Whereas like we had a couple of weeks where we had to, before every practice, we had to like, we had to write out a list of the things we wanted to cover and how we were going to cover them with drills and block work and stuff like that. And we had to get it like cleared with the coaches before they'd let us out to go, to go practice, just to kind of train that thought process of, picking the right things to work on and then applying, you know, they give us tons of drills. And then eventually the idea is we're able to say, Oh, this drill could help accomplish this by changing it. However, however you need to. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's something, you know, our listeners at home can take a lot out of is that, that quality over quantity. Right. Um, it is so cliche, but practicing the right way, it's, it's very important. So let, let's transition, um, you know, back to Maine and, you know, how you started in the game growing up in Camden. 
um, how you picked it up. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it was a little bit of a fluke. Baseball was my first love. And the first time I played golf was, I think I was 10 or 11, um, 4th of July. One of my little league teammates asked if I wanted to go play nine holes at Rockland before our game. So I went and played and was like awful, like, you know, just horrible. But I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it so much that I actually convinced my dad to let us go squeeze in the back nine before our game. And my dad ended up leaving early to go get the field set up. He, he was my little league coach. And we, we showed up about 30 seconds before first pitch was supposed to be thrown. <laughs> so we missed warmups for golf. And then uh, from there, middle school, um, our middle school in Camden is fifth to eighth grade. And as a fifth and sixth grader, as a fifth grader, the only sports you can play are either golf or wrestling in the winter. So I had nothing to do in the fall. So I was like, I'll just fill my time with golf. And then that was when I, that was when I really got hooked. And I joined Goose River, um, little nine hole course in Rockport the next year. And it's been just an obsession since. Look at you throwing out the uh, Goose River reference there. Uh, shout out to our boy, Alex. In. Alex Plummer. Plum dog. You played at Goose River. Uh, you know, you and I talk about Samoset all the time. Uh, so you worked with Jeff Seavey, correct? Yes. I uh, started working with Jeff when I was 12 and still still do. You know, I know you were a little upset about our top five main courses. So why don't, why don't you defend why Samoset should be in there? So it's not so much that I'm arguing with the courses you picked. And, yes, I, I will say I'm I'm obviously biased. But I think – What's missed when talking about Samset a lot is that is the uniqueness of what it's going to offer you in terms of you you probably can't find many golf courses and golf nerds I understand like you could probably find one on the east coast that has that sort of water up front in your face on a cliff type experience and I just think it's unique if you look at the other like let's say Sugarloaf right that's your main like mountain experience. I think Samoset kind of has to stand out as your top, the uh, main coast golfing experience. I'll tell you one thing unique about it is playing a high school match there and seeing a, um, a seagull come down and take a golf ball off the green, fly about 50 yards away and drop it somewhere else. That was, that was pretty unique. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It happens. It happens. So, so let's go back to Jeff Seavey for a second. I mean, yeah, sure. great player, you know, has been around the country playing and, and has competed at a high level. How, how did that relationship work for you starting out? And, and can you talk about him being sort of a mentor to you? Yeah, I owe him a lot. When I first met him, I think I was uh, somewhere 14, 16 handicap, something like that. And um, by the time, so we started when I was 12. And by the time I was 15, I was scratch. So in three years, he took me from 16 to, to scratch. And I think the thing that worked for me was he was kind of the first one that, like, didn't flinch when I said, like, what I wanted to do, like, how good I wanted to get. Like, everybody else was like, wow, like, big goals. Like, good for you. You know, they give you the kind of the fake little, like, shoot for the stars. And Jeff liked it. He was like, should be expected. And so there was – there was like an intensity matchup that worked because I'm a 12 year old. And so I'm not supposed to be like extremely intense about something like that. Like 
supposed to be fun. And it was, but I always saw sports differently. It was never, I wasn't just doing it to have fun. I have a blast doing it, but I wanted to be like the best, whether it was the best on my team, but you know, that was the always kind of the driving thing. And he was, he matched it when I wanted it, you know, 13 years old, that book him for the entire morning and work on every part of my game for, you know, from 7.30 in the morning till lunchtime, he was, he was all about it. So it, it just kind of, it worked. I guess I'll have to ask CV about his babysitting days now. That's basically more <laughs> or less, you know, to my mom, that probably, you know, made her feel a little better about like, you know, dropping her son off at the Samoset and, you know, him saying, all right, I'll see you for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but no, that's, you know, it's such a, I feel like that's a common thing with, advanced junior golfers is just being dropped off of the course in the morning. They're there all day and the golf pro kind of keeps an eye on them and looks out for them. And I think that's one of the, the things that isn't spoken to a lot about uh, golf club pros is, is how much they can have an effect on a young junior golfer like that. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. He was instrumental in getting me to where I'm at now and hopefully where I'll end up in the future. He's, he's been a big part of it for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll echo that. I mean, when I was growing up, they, we had a little par three course right by my house. My mom would pack me a little lunch and then I would just put that in the fridge of where the uh, pro's office was. He let us go play and we played all day, stopped in, got a 99 cent soda, ate my lunch and then kept playing. So, you know, it's a great way to get into the game and just learn from, from that. And, with you having CV there is huge for your improvement. You went uh, from CV to the Gucci George Gankus. You know, we, we got to give uh, Gigi swing tips a, a little shout out here. Uh, oh, yeah. he's, he's definitely the um, bad boy of golf instruction. Do you want to, what's a good yeah, word for it? He's, he's just different, man. Like he, he just, he, the thing that I love so much about him is, is it's, he really like, he just owns who he is. There's nothing, nothing fake about him. And he genuinely, for as many people as he works with, he genuinely cares about his students, which is, you know, it's not just about making money for him. He, he wants his students to get better. Um, and I think he just gets misunderstood a lot because he's, he's a clown, you know, he, he's a funny guy. Like he just, that's kind of, He's, he's going a different path than traditional instruction in terms of whether it's delivery or what he's actually, because what he's actually teaching isn't really that far off from what a lot of other people are teaching. When it, when you get down to like the, the core elements of it, it's not a whole lot different than a lot of classic golf swings. It just manifests a little differently in some of his guys. And Matt Wolf is a huge part of that because he has such a unique swing on his own that it kind of, it gives George kind of a weird, weird reputation. But I think I'm sure if you talk to a lot of guys that are on tour, they've got a lot of respect for him and what he's doing. So how, how did you come to find him? Was it through social media or um, just hearing his name? Or, you know, most, yeah. So uh, players? I followed him on Instagram for a while before we ever interacted. Um, and I was on the driving range and, uh, we were kind of mocking his leg work, his, you know, his signature little squat and turn thing. And my friend took a video of it on my phone 
and I was just hitting balls and he DM'd, he DM'd the video to George of me like mocking it. And he's like, he was like, he's like, how you like the legs G and George responded. He was like, he's like, that's sick. Who taught you to swing like that? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we just started texting and he was like, he's like, I want, I want to, I want to help you get some speed. And like, that's basically that's majority of what we've worked on is just body work. Um, I met him out at the USAM when I qualified when I was 16, seeing each other a few times, but a lot of what we do is just, he's, I just send him face on down the line videos and he's basically just looking at like my dynamics of my golf swing and how I'm, how I'm using the ground. Cause I have a tendency to spin and not push well. And so we just, we just kind of bounce ideas back and forth and he's, I mean, He's so smart. People don't realize how, how intelligent the guy is. Um, just his understanding of how the body works. People don't understand like his, how well-versed he is and like the biomechanics side of stuff and how different muscles work and different limbs are supposed to move. And he, he just kind of optimizes stuff. It's not even that he makes a lot of changes. He's just is like, if you just kind of tweak how you feel pressure in this foot or where you feel the extension coming from, he, it's it's just easy for him. Speaking of speed, I mean, I gotta say, watching you at the Coca-Cola Championship up at Sugarloaf um, a couple years ago, seeing you hit three wood on five up the hill and then eighteen, I mean, you must have been carrying at like two eighty. So, and I think you were at that point still working or just starting to work with Ankus. And I mean, that was that was pretty impressive to watch. Do you feel like? You know, you starting out in baseball, did that have any connection with you and Gankus maybe a little bit? I think if I had to pick a sport, though, that helped more than anything, it was probably hockey. Okay. Hockey was the one that, that really probably gave me, like, a decent foundation and, like, a golf swing. Um, I tended to just let my golf swing rub off on my baseball swing, so I ended up with a kind of a messed up baseball swing. But I'd say the movement as far as, like, loading – and transitions of pressures and where you're pushing off of is more similar to like a slap shot. I played, I played defense. So that was kind of the, the power sources are the same basically. Okay. Yeah. Um, I just, I heard that, that George, or from what he says, he, he played a lot of baseball and he talks about how he uses that as sort of a, a driving force behind his, his sort of swing method. So I didn't know if that, you know, maybe you guys his, connected on that. Yeah. I, yeah, we've talked about it. The The part that he's – I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I'm, I'm guessing he's referring to is the that lead foot put pressure, the push almost away back away from the golf ball. You do post on your left leg in a baseball swing, and you step into it, but then you push back. And then the opposition of those forces is what creates that power. So where a lot of guys just teach you to push into your left side, nobody's – there's not a lot of – you know, there's – not a level, lot of um, sort of mid-level teaching that teaches how you really should be pushing into yourself. You know, right foot should be pushing out. Left foot should also be pushing out while straightening. And a lot of guys just sort of teach push off that right foot and you get slidey. And that's the biggest, the biggest thing, I guess. Yeah, that's really cool to hear that, that insight. And, but you mentioned, you know, your time with him and then also meeting him uh, at the U.S. Amateur out at Riviera. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, qualifying for that event and, and your experience out there and how that, that kind of helped get you to where you are now? 
Yeah, it was crazy. Um, I went – I just played really well in the qualifier. We had a great second round to get into a playoff and then uh, made it out of the playoff. And it was – it didn't really – I guess it doesn't really hit you the magnitude of, like, until you sort of get there and you start seeing all the USGA stuff. And, you know, I – we're at the – I was at the players' dinner, and that was where it first really hit is, like, Stuart Hagestad is, like, standing behind me in line. And, like, there's a guy that's played, like – it's like four or five masters at this point, a bunch of other majors. Like the, you know, you're, you know, I was, I was sitting at the dinner table with Braden Thornberry who had just won the NCAA championship. And I'm, you know, I'm 16 years old and like here are all these guys of like where I'd like to be at some point. And it's just a really cool atmosphere. And I went there, I wanted to make match play. Um, but even so, like just the experience of kind of learning, what that level of golf takes as far as like precision and consistency goes um, was just a huge eye opener. And everything that's happened to me so far golf wise has just sort of been, I always kind of get like a look forward at some point of like what, what comes next or what's coming next and just allows me to kind of get a head start on like how I need to be preparing for that level so that when I get there, I don't have to go through a huge transition period. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you know, you look at uh, your three AJGA experiences up here at Sugarloaf. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, your first one, you came in third or something like that. And then, you know, you reeled off two wins. You have your main AM experience where you almost pulled it off at Belgrade, but then, you know, push it to the win at Portland. So it's a great way to kind of see it and be like, okay, here's where I got to take it. I think per- perspective is really important for sure. Just not not getting too caught up into one single event and kind of seeing this as like I'm I'm not near where I want the finish line to be so just try and continue learning more important than, than anything I guess yeah I mean but uh you and I talked a couple times you know when you're up here for for the AJGA about course strategy and you know we we watched it out there these kids just bob driver trying to cut corners on seven you know that's not the right play you and I might, you know, have a little disagreement on, you know, how to play 10, but really was in awe of was your ability to understand a golf course and uh, kind of dissect it and figure out what the best strategy was. I'll let you in on a little secret. Um, Jeff has this thing for Sugarloaf we call the Bible, and it's this old beat up yardage book. I mean, it, it's barely holding together. Um, but that thing, I mean, it is the, the gospel of Sugarloaf. It tells you exactly what club to hit everywhere. And not, not even what club. It, it tells you if you want to hit it this distance, you have to hit this shot off of this tee. And then it's got wind directions and how that changes the strategy. I mean, they're, like, it's out there somewhere. And you may be able to get a sneak peek of it at some point. I, I know its location. I'm not willing to give it out on the podcast. <laughs> but I know where the gospel currently is at this exact moment. And it'll, it'll tell, it'll teach anybody to shoot under par at Sugarloaf. Well, it's funny you mentioned the, the prevailing wind too. Zach and I, when I was up there a couple of years ago, we actually gave like some core strategy lessons to, to some of the juniors that came up. And one of the, the big topics obviously is carry distance up there. Cause the ball does go a little bit further and, you know, you're on these elevated tees. And, um, but then also the prevailing wind you mentioned, it's one of the things that you just don't really see on that golf course. And, 
something to to definitely consider. I don't think we have a Bible put together though. The, uh, I mean, the one that stands out to me the most is, uh, is 12. So I pretty consistently went like six iron, seven iron pitching wedge on that hole. Like, I don't think I ever hit more than a four iron and it was a day that it was into the wind pretty good. But after like my first tournament there, I realized like, you're not, you're not going for this in two. It gets narrow at about 210 yards up there and it's an easy layup from an extra 40 yards back. So I'd, I would literally, there would be kids in my group hitting three wood down to the end of that fairway and I'd stand up with seven iron. And that was kind of, that, that's kind of the, I think that sort of encompasses how you need to play Sugarloaf. You just, you just take away the double. You know, if you look at 12, like you said, you know, the fairway's massive where you hit that seven iron, you know, six iron, wherever it is to get out to that wide spot. Even if you do hit three wood, if you don't keep it to the right side, you still don't really have that great of an angle to get up over the trees and on the green in two anyways, or you'd have to hit a big swooping hook, which that's not the play on that hole. You're just not trying to curve it out there at all. Just trying to hit every shot dead straight. <laughs> so your uh, your first AJGA victory you had here, uh, you actually played with uh, Henry's nine iron. Uh, I know you I gave a shout out during the uh, the winner's speech, but uh, you know we have to let uh, Henry in on that uh, that accomplishment. Yeah, it actually counted. I think we talked about this, Henry. I I don't think I hit a single shot with that. I hit. I hit it four or five times and I didn't hit a single shot outside of 15 feet with it. I definitely rubbed off on you that week. So <laughs> yeah, we had some good juju going for sure. All right. So you, uh, you just recently won the main amateur pretty impressive victory. What do you let every single round and you won by eight shots? Eight. Yep. Yep. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about that, uh, that victory. Yeah, um, that was probably as bad as I've ever, like, wanted to win a golf tournament going into one. I just felt like I had really let it slip the last, the previous two years. I mean, the year before, I had obviously finished second at Belgrade, but then before that at Brunswick, I mean, I, I played some pretty pretty poor golf. You know, I felt like I hit it bad, didn't putt that great, and I think I ended up in third or fourth. And so I, I felt like I, I needed to win it, I guess. So I definitely felt more pressure than I had the, the previous two years. But it just worked out that we, we had a good overall week. We planned well. Alex and I had a good, good game plan for the golf course. And we just kind of stuck to it. And I got off to a good start, putted well the first day. The second day was the most important day for sure. I just said I knew it was going to be windier in the afternoon, so I just set a goal of if I can get this round in at par or better, Ollie will have a decent decent lead. And I shot one under the second day, um, and that gave me – I think I had six shots. So from there, it was just find something else to shoot for. And I, I just – I wanted to get it to double digits. I got it to nine. Um, so that was kind of what I was gunning. The guy that I – the only guy I really had to worry about was Reese – is Reese McFarlane. He, he's one of those guys that just every once in a while is just going to go shoot 60 and it's going to look really, really easy. So I, 
I figured I had to watch out for him. But then when we made the turn and I had gotten the lead, I think seven or eight, it was just about trying to get it to 10 under par for me. So we'll, uh, well, let's, let's assume that it's going to uh, be played again uh, this year. Yeah. You going to uh, defend your title? I want to. Yes. And I'm just, yeah, no, I'll be there. Um, the schedule's being finalized, but it's, there's one small conflict, but I'm going to make it work. It's important to me to, to be back there. Um, I love the MSGA. I'm close friends with a lot of those guys that work there. And it's, it's been, been a staple of my summer for so long that, you know, hopefully it happens and uh, we get to play. I'm looking forward to defending for sure. So in, uh, you know, in preparation for the season, assuming everything comes back to, to order, what are you doing right now during this downtime down in Florida to, to stay sharp, you know, both mentally and, and physically for your game? I think it's a little bit of a combination. I mean, I think some of us needed to take a little bit of a step away just to process everything. Cause you know, we were getting ready for a, a pretty intense stretch coming up with ACCs and, you know, a regional. And then, you know, we were hopefully, you know, play well in the regional, get to go to a national championship. And that's a, you know, that's a pretty, pretty healthy stretch of golf. We wouldn't have even been, we, you know, we had another, another few weeks before we were done. So I think it was such a shock to some of us that we didn't really feel like playing golf for a few days, just kind of stepped away. Um, but now I think it's just a matter of, Unfortunately, there is only so much we can do with, you know, the lack of facilities right now, but it's more, I guess, there are no gyms open. It's just kind of your day-to-day routine is different. Um, so I think we're just trying to make the most of it. And I think it's more just about about being mentally ready whenever that time comes and not not being too kind of out of your, your structure and just kind of the day-to-day stuff. I think it's more just a waiting game and just being being mentally prepared for what the restart is going to entail as far as what we need to do on a day-to-day. We'll be excited to see what, uh, what you got uh, in store for this summer. We got uh, just three more questions for you. We call right. it the wicked fire round All right. where we're going to ask you three questions. You answer them as fast as possible. Okay. So uh, first question, what are your top five main golf courses? Ooh, top five. Okay. Um, in no particular order, Samoset, Sugarloaf, Belgrade, PCC, and mm, wow, five, uh, Kibo, Kibo. All right. Who, uh, who did you idolize growing up? Uh, Tiger. And that, that was, that was an easy question. and uh final question uh momo's pizza have you had it and what's your favorite slice yes i have had it um i like their pepperoni it's just the perfect amount of kick oh they're big as your face bigger (laughs) actually i remember i was down there uh a couple years ago visiting one of my one of my buddies and uh i got a little overzealous and ordered two slices and you try did you try gordo's you know i I can't really remember after the pizza. I think we started drinking and fair, fair. You know, it is Florida State, and we'll, we'll have to we'll have to get you down here. For, we'll get you guys down here for the home event next year, and we can uh, and show you around, take you all the good eats. Cole, if I can ask you one more question, what sure, would man. be 
what would be one piece of advice that you would give to our listeners, whether it's related to practice or going out on the course? I know you talked a lot in this, uh, in this podcast about staying committed to a game plan, but if there was one piece of advice, what would, what would you say? I guess I'll go the route of junior golfers that might want to sort of pursue the same track. Um, I think the biggest thing that I'm currently, you know, learning, I've learned a lot about, but still have a ways to go is, is really understanding your DNA as a golfer and what you do well, because the bottom line is you can improve things the area in the areas that you're not, you're not good at, but the things that you are naturally good at are probably going to consistently be the things you're good at. So somebody that somebody like, like let's say Dustin Johnson, he's not, he's not the best putter, right? But he knows that. And so he doesn't, he doesn't worry about it too much. It's not, it's not the type of thing where he wants to necessarily become the best putter on tour because he doesn't need to. Um, and so really focusing on how to make whatever your potential is maximizing that and not trying to model yourself after, you know, some other golfer, because everybody's really different in their skill sets. And that's something that I, I think has kind of helped me acclimate here is I, you know, I stopped, I stopped trying to be something I wasn't from a golf perspective. I love it. Um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, I, we really appreciate you, you know, coming on the podcast and I think the, I think our listeners have, have a lot to, to gain from, from this today. And um, yeah, so certainly thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me guys. Appreciate it. Guys. I, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And, and Cole, where, where can people find you as far as, you know, on social media or I, I know they can look up Florida state golf, but where yeah. can they find you on social media? Let's see. So Instagram, it's uh, Cole underscore Anderson seven two. And then I believe Twitter is just Cole A. Golf. All right. And you can find us at Main Golf Talk on Instagram. And our podcast is up on iTunes and Spotify now. So, and uh, yeah, Cole, we appreciate you coming on. And thank you everyone at home for listening to Main Golf Talk.